0: The War Nomads podcast bonus episode Hear amazing nomads sharing
1: their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel
2: Welcome to our latest episode featuring another amazing nomad And this guy is particularly exciting He's one of the pioneers of adventure travel But Phil, before we introduce him We have an update from our very first amazing nomad guest Yes,
1: yeah, Sarah Davis uh, She's about to kayak the entire length of the Nile And she sent us this update
3: Well, I am now in... In, in Uganda and edging ever closer to starting this expedition off which is really exciting um, definitely a little bit scary as well so I've been spending the last few weeks um, pulling the team together so I've got three three guys from here in Uganda Paolo Peter and Coa who are really experienced rafting guides Um, great guys so i'm so happy to to have them on the on the team and then just been finalizing getting approvals and permits doing the a mega food shop uh to get the food to take on the on the trip that's got to be enough for four of us um that will last for a good three weeks isn't going to go off um, will fit on the raft so that's been kind of interesting uh and and then just also enjoying being here like Uganda it's just beautiful here I love it um I'm staying at this stunning place that are actually overlooking the Nile, so it's um Explorers River Camp and it's it's just gorgeous here and then also went out for a day's rafting uh, which was so much fun with, with Nile River Explorers. It was awesome. So you you got some pretty hectic rapids here, um, some good grade fives. So it's a kind of get in and hang on. And, yeah, I had an absolute ball. So, yeah, it's been nice to sort of get out and do uh, a little bit as well as a uh, sort of bit of fun as well as doing all the organising. Um, and, yeah, with any luck, we're going to be setting off very, very soon and heading to the source in Rwanda to, um, to actually start this expedition. So, yeah. Yeah, I will uh, look forward to sharing the updates.
2: (laughs) Exciting and scary at the same time. We'll share a link to that episode, the very first one featuring Sarah in show notes. But Phil, remember the days before the so-called bubble wrap generation?
1: Uh, You mean charging down the hill in a billy cart with no helmet, no knee pads, no elbow protectors or being driven to the rubbish tip by your dad while you rode (laughs) in the trailer? He was pulling along. Oh, yes. Do that one? being taught to swim while being thrown in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. And then being kicked out of the house and being told you can't come back until the streetlights come on. Is that what you mean? The good old days. The good old days. The
2: good old days, (laughs) exactly. Well, this man is part of that generation. Clive Neeson's film, Last Paradise, is his lifetime work, and it chronicles not only how the planet has changed, and remarkably so, in 45 years, but he and his band of maverick mates the brains behind things like snowboarding, kite surfing. You, You get the picture? I get it. And it's all been caught on film.
0: Well, till I was eight years old, uh, my parents were fanatical about filming. And when I say filming, that's in celluloid. Of course, those days it was actually film. And they were filming in Africa on safari. So we were traveling a lot of the time filming wild animals in a time when there are about 20 times more of them in Africa than there are now. And, and I was uh, never really allowed to touch their camera. But when we came to New Zealand, I... I suppose I uh, inevitably met these younger kids in New Zealand who were, um, I suppose, pioneering what you call extreme sports. But it was just normal play back then. And then I found the opportunity there to actually uh, buy a camera for $7.50 and repair it and actually started filming my friends doing this. And I did have the idea by the age of 15 uh, to, to make a movie one day. And so, what I did was I filmed it very, very carefully, because it cost about it cost about uh, two hours of working for one minute of film, so i wasn 't going to press the button till I'd get everything perfect so in some senses, we did do spontaneity, but some some cases we we actually um, acted if you like or set things up so it was filmed very carefully, and I carefully looked after the film over the years, and it wasn 't until many years later um, when I'd stopped filming, that I had the opportunity to, to make it during the Lord of the Rings uh, third movie um, when I was working down there, converting this footage to... Um, to sorry, there's a, there's a really big storm here right now. You can probably hear it oh, wow, flashing yeah. on the windows. <laughs> it adds to the atmosphere. Um, yeah, so there's this opportunity to, to restore my footage. And in doing so, the studio just realized how it told a story. And it was probably filmed over 15 years because as we became teenagers, we took these new sports, I suppose, backpacking around the world to various places like to Bali, Mexico, uh, Europe in the days before tourism. And so we were able to film the, the culture of the place at the time. Um, well before um, any kind of other visitors had been there, and so the Last Paradise not only is the story of uh, how do you say adventure travel, but it's also the story of how the world has changed over 45 years. And uh, I, I made a vow at 15 years old to make this movie, so it was it was a fantastic. 45 years later, later to be in, to be invited to complete the movie and tell the story of, um, I suppose, all all my friends in Australia and New Zealand who pioneered that journey.
2: It also shows a uh, a shift in parenting too because there's some file footage there of uh, you boys with your parents in Africa and as you said, there were 20 times more wild animals then and you were sleeping in tents. And and you guys were just little toddlers, little tots, just running running around. I can't see any parent in 2018 doing that.
0: Yeah, it was quite dangerous because the animals weren't used to humans then. Uh, they also they were abundant in the general countryside as well as in national parks. So you had nothing else. The, the only way you could camp was in, in your van and my parents slept outside the van in a lean-to and we slept inside the van uh, for security. Uh, so it was it was pretty scary. But I think the effect of that was that when we came to New Zealand and Australia, we toured Australia before New Zealand for a year, um, We we had this real appetite for danger. And there were no wild animals in New Zealand as such. So we took to the wilderness and the waterfalls and the lakes and the rivers and the mountains, and that's where we met these other kids is that we wanted to taste a bit of danger every day, whether it be after school or on the weekends. So also parenting was different then in that indoors was a place for the parents. Outdoors is where the kids went to get away from the rules, which were you couldn't make a noise inside. I know that's changed now. Um, so we went as soon as we could into the outdoors and that's where we met these other kids who were likewise driven to the outdoors. And they um, they all had the same uh, fever, you know, <laughs> They wanted to to experiment with the forces of nature and how they could tap the forces of nature for some kind of adrenaline buzz. That's the theme of Last Paradise.
2: And, and things like this... Is- You know, when you think about um, windsurfing, the way I remember it in the film, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Clive, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, El Nino or El Nina hit and the waves weren't as clean as they used to be, so there was a lot of wind coming on shore. So the boys still wanted to get out there to have a surf, so they came up with a putting a kite on a surfboard using like a loo plunger as the kind of main link. Can Can you explain that, Clive?
0: Yeah, it was really basic technology back then. Um, So you just improvised and it's not like we could share technology so that people in Australia and people in New Zealand that were trying to find a way to use this wind that appeared in 1980, Uh, the weather changed. It went through what we called first the El Nino and uh, it meant that the the surfing was deteriorated for almost a decade and so we found a way to use the wind to keep on surfing the waves and that gave birth to this new sport of uh, wave sailing which uh, uh, West Australia is very famed for now and had very humble beginnings and comical beginnings and also what came out of that was because there was so much forces in taking the sport into the air and then landing the wrong way on or another wave, the, the boards would just break. So what needed to be pioneered then was a new form of surfboard construction, and that, that as you, you see, intersects with the America's Cup Challenge that West Australia and New Zealand had. Um, and that technology was shared, and it became the, the state-of-the-art surfboard as we know it today. It came out of that, but it was designed in the cow shed. I think all these very basic origins are quite comical, You'll see in, in Last Paradise in the movie it's, it's laughable, inherently laughable and the movie brings out how funny that was. But then how significant it was in the long term.
2: And one of those mavericks too was AJ Hackett who we know for um, around the world bungee jumping and you've got some great footage in there of, of AJ when he jumped off the Eiffel Tower.
0: Yes, AJ was, was really involved in the early snowboarding, trying to pioneer a way to surf on snow. Um, but that um it, I think it's his vocation of course this happened at the time when all these teenagers had to find a responsible way of earning an income. So they turned their passions into hobbies. And to AJ the, the break obviously came when when he saw uh the, this Eiffel Tower. I remember as a kid, as you see in Last in Paradise, Paradise, he was a kid who loved climbing trees. <laughs> his mother wrote him to do that. And uh, when he saw the Eiffel Tower, he thought that was the ultimate tree, so he, he found a way to be able to sneak up there and jump off it. and, and, and you see in the movie uh, that, that particular uh, scene where, where that's all played out and got the original footage and um, that led to, well, a global change not only uh, the birth of Bungie, uh, of which he took the lead, but also a, a kind of tourism called adventure Tourism, where you you aim to give the, the tourist the experience of, as it says in the movie, of madman, but in a safe environment. And that's become the theme in Australia and New Zealand. How you you give the traveller a taste without breaking their neck, so to speak. And and that's happened in many sectors now. It's a new form of
1: tourism. But there must have been a few broken necks or broken bones in the in the beginning. You, did, did you have your run-ins with authorities over that?
0: Um, well, always, um, but in Jay's, Aj's uh, example, which is I suppose the most precarious in terms of uh, the, the tourist experience, um, track record is zero. Yeah, excellent. So, um, but that was by very heavily researching it and making sure that. Whenever they put their foot forward, it was it was safe, so to speak. Um, and that, and you know, last paradise is also a scientific glance at all this as well. So that's one incident where there was a lot of scientific in, um, research done, and um, in many, uh, the, the tone of last paradise is combining adventure with science as well. And so I'd, I'd say the bungee pioneered that as well.
2: There was also something I raved to Phil about in the morning. I came to work after seeing that movie was barley the way it used mm. to be compared to the way it is now. And Phil was fortunate enough to have experienced barley when it was at its rawest or purest.
1: Well, just before it turned, I was there. <laughs> I was missed. on the cusp. <laughs> I just missed out on the, the real barley.
2: But that, that was just an in, in, incredible contrast between then and now.
0: Yes, it changes every, every year. It continues in a certain direction. Um, but the real beginnings that people will remember of Bali is when Kuta and Yan were just two villages, two very quiet villages and a little grass track between them. Now, that uh, is unthinkable to most people, but you'll see it in Last Paradise in footage because the very first surfers that went there took movie cameras and they re- recorded that and also the sensation, the feeling of being in a place where they felt it tourism hadn't preceded them and their relationship with the Dalinese people. I think it's good for, for all visitors of Dali to see that on film and realise what it used to be and, and where it's going, see where it's going. Because the future of Dali or oh, even the past of Dali could have been different if people had known what the original Dali was.
2: Are there still those, those, those places that you can find, Clive, where you are all alone and able to surf without you know, mass crowds?
0: <laughs> there are. but And that's what this year was about for me, was proving to myself and four friends to go and find another place. And I found that um, actually the theme of doing that is you need to read the mob mentality. They called it the mob mentality in, in Indonesia, the places I went to this year understand what's driving the numbers there, and then do the opposite. So, I mean, this year I, I was travelling through Indonesia and barely saw another tourist and had wonderful waves and kite surfing. And um, it was just like Bali in the old days, I suppose. And and that was by following that principle, by understanding the mob mentality and double-thinking
1: it. I know the Indonesian government, obviously they... You know they get a lot of foreign currency comes in because of barley, and I know they have a deliberate government policy to build another ten barleys. What? Yeah, and have nominated places such as Flores as one of the potential sites on the Thousand Islands, just outside Jakarta, is another one off the top of my top of my head as well. And some of those are still quite underdeveloped, but they going they want. Ten more barley.
2: Well, how does that make you feel, Clive? That would be heartbreaking.
0: Well, one of the places I went to this year was Lombok. I went there because I never went there way back in the 70s. Uh, But my brother did. And he said, don't bother now. It's just wall-to-wall tourists. It's being changed. And there's even um, plans afoot, as you say, to create another barley there with a lot of concrete and high-rise. And then they had the earthquake. And everyone left south... Lombok and collapsed the economy there, and my friend there, who was a kite surfer, said, hey, there's nobody here now. They really need people here, and it's not affected like the north is. And I did my research and the geological research, and yeah, sure enough, South Lombok, to me, would be safe. So I went to South Lombok. No tourists. Now, the theme was concrete. Looking into the future, trying to to create another Bali in Lombok is what the plan is now, but the plan is for a kind of tourist who likes luxury and concrete. Well, the earthquakes changed all of that. So now, the very few people that did come back to tourism, they wanted bamboo bungalows. They wanted barley like the old days, and that was the golden um, goose for Lombok. The organisers should have seen that there's a huge desire for Bali in the early days. Rather than create Bali now, in what, six or 10 other places, they should be creating Bali like the early days. And as you'll see in, in Last Paradise, the message is subliminal, but the message is, is subtle, it's there, is that the reason why people went to Bali in the early days is because the First tourists were content with living in the dangdu bungalow. And that was where the family owned the accommodation And you lived with the family and you lived in a Balinese-style house that didn't need air conditioning, that didn't need all the infrastructure. And you enjoyed doing that because it was close to the culture and the family got all the money. Instead of, like we have now, people living in Pempisar, mortgaging themselves for life, for a motorbike, to be able to drive the traffic jam into Bali, into Kuta, sweep the floors in a flash hotel, and uh, earn $3 a day. Now, that, that's it's a terrible outcome for the Balinese people. Now, Lombok's uh, headed for that. But the answer for Lombok is, this is after the earthquake, is that people no longer want to be housed under concrete. They're the buildings that came down. What they want is bamboo bungalows. They want it the way it was. And if you want to earthquake-proof your future, you will develop in Lombok with bamboo bungalows, i.e., the way Bali used to be.
2: Ooh, that brings a shiver down my spine. But what are some of the other reasons, Clive, behind the film?
0: Well, the objective of of Last Paradise is to also show not only where we've been, the state of the world, and the science which can solve all these problems, which a lot of people are not perhaps aware of. It. So when you see the past, then you can look into the future with the knowledge of the science and say, OK, these are the things we need to fix. And then that's how they're going to be fixed. And there are solutions uh, to be positive at the end. So it does actually finish with a positive be the movie, but it does reveal things that a lot of people are quite, not quite aware of in terms of the scientific
1: fixes. Oh, listen, you've got to watch it. It's uh, some awesome file footage in there, and, uh, of course, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Hey, listen, if you can think of an amazing nomad that we should be speaking to, then uh, drop us a line on podcast at worldnomads.com.
2: You can download the episodes from iTunes or the Google Podcast app or ask Alexa and Google Home to play the World Nomads. Nomads podcast. Alexa, play the World Nomads podcast. Don't say
1: too loud she'll start.
2: (laughs) We'll see you next week when we bring you Albania.
1: Bye. Bye. Amazing nomads. Be inspired.